Hello, I'm Alistair. And I'm Andrew. Welcome to Season 11, Episode 5 of Seen From Above, an informal podcast about the cool things happening in Earth observation. Check out seenfromabove.org for the podcast archive and show notes. Follow the show on Twitter via at EOSeenFrom and using the hashtag SeenFromAbove. In this episode, we talk about making sure we bring everyone with us in EO. Cool, so let's do the news then on the 1st of December 2021. I never stop laughing every time I read the date because <laughs> it just blows my mind. Yeah, so... There's a few things been going on that, I, that I've seen. I mean, first of all, because it's the end of the month, the 30-day map challenge has just concluded itself. And something we drew our attention to last year on the podcast, I remember, at the start of it. Oh, man, it is the thing that unites the Twitter map-based community more than, more than anything else. Some of the things that get done are just stunning. Amazing. Yeah. And it really isn't a showcase about you. It feels it's more about a showcase about maps. If you follow the hashtag, you you just you're constantly blown away by the attention to detail and the effort that must be put in. Because to make a good map is not necessarily something that you can knock out in a few moments. So I want to really highlight this, and uh, they're all amazing. I think that's the thing I love about it is that it doesn't have to be the most visually stunning that is an amazing map. It can also be a totally new data set that you've never heard of or never thought to visualize before. And that's just brilliant. There's no limits. And I love that. It's really, really cool. Yeah. I mean, I've always felt that we don't do visualization brilliantly in Earth observation. And I think there's lessons to be learned. And it's good to see what what people do with data. And even if it puts that spark into your head, or puts that deep memory in that when you come to a project or a presentation, you go, oh, yeah, I could do it that way because I remember seeing it done that way. And that is inspirational. So I think the topic for the the last day was meta. I just really want to know whether someone did a really simple map and just had a single dot over the uh, headquarters of Facebook. Yeah, cool. Okay, so my first piece of news is that Kisheng Wu, G-I-S-W-Q-S on Twitter, is recruiting a fully funded PhD student to go and work with him, looking at big data analytics, cloud computing, earth engine, remote sensing hydrology, all of that sort of good stuff. If you want to do a PhD, then I can't think of a better person to do a PhD with at the <laughs> oh, moment. Yeah. I mean, it'd be absolutely stunning. The tools you'd get to to learn about, the the skills you would get, it's just such an amazing opportunity. Yeah, I mean, there's not much to add there, is there, other than no. to say it starts in August 2022, I believe. And two days ago, he'd had over 250 applicants. Wow. Um, just quickly related to that as well, I saw today that he's posted that he's looking for someone to be backup person on the repositories that he has. Uh, so that, again, would be a really good opportunity. Oh, I see that. Yeah. Right. Crikey. You have not designated the successor. I'd never even considered something like that. Wow, it's just sort of taking my breath away. Um, okay, Geo for Good has happened. You know what? I've missed pretty much everything about it. So all I can say <laughs> is that it's happened. I draw attention to it because often it's a good meeting for like-minded people's Earth Engine fans. And I have to hold my hands up and say I haven't seen seen anything in it. It did seem to be a bit quiet this year on Twitter. But if Earth Engine is your thing, then this is the first place to go to to, to get the latest news. Yeah. I know that the um, opening remarks by Rebecca Moore got quite a lot of sharing and resharing on Twitter. Okay. And another, another thing on um, things that I've seen, but not read or looked at the group on Earth Observations, Geo has its highlights report uh, 2021. 
uh, just come out. Um, I think it was part of Geo Week. I might have been confusing that. Yes, yeah, Geo Week's just happened. So do go and check this out. I did have a quick skim through and a couple of things sort of popped out as, as quite interesting. One was that Digital Earth Africa became a geo initiative. And then there was also a page that I saw that was about how Digital Earth Pacific has responded to needs of the Pacific Islands around aspects of climate change and, and that sort of type of thing. Yeah, it, it's definitely worth having a look at and checking out. One of our sort of bugbears is that we don't hear about things going on around the world. Well, this is basically basically telling us about things that are going on around the world. So yes, yeah. I need to step up and read it. <laughs> Frankly, I don't need to complain about it. I need to, to say that this is out and, you know, we should all read it and learn about bits of the world and using Earth observation in, in, in the ways that has happened in 2021. My next bit of news is obviously most people will have heard about the awful floods that have happened in British Columbia off the back of some of the wildfires that were happening earlier in the year. So British Columbia has had a real rough ride of it this year. But as we've said before, Earth observation does serve a very useful purpose when it comes to um, monitoring some of the natural disasters that occur. And um, Natural Resources Canada have put out quite a few really interesting tweets where they've used various different types of earth observation data to create maps of the floods. Again, I would suggest go and sort of have a look through their back catalogue of tweets and, and see what they've produced if you're interested in that sort of thing. And then the final thing that I've got is that Robin Cole, he basically has put together and hosts on GitHub a repository called Satellite Image Deep Learning. And it's all about um, different resources to <laughs> do exactly what it says on the repository name. Uh, <laughs> a look at using satellite imagery for deep learning. That's now past 2,000 stars this week. And I see that it also has uh, 544 forks. So I think that's really cool that, again, someone was interested in something, has put together a repository, and it's just grown and grown and grown. I had a little conversation with someone about stars and forks on GitHub. And because there's so much out there now, a way of using that as a guide or a metric to whether you should go deeper is to see how many forks and stars it's got. We were sort of lightly or loosely discussing whether that would be one measure. I mean, obviously, how up to date it is, how many commits have happened, all this kind of stuff. It's also interesting. I was trying to do some stats on awesome Earth observation code. I reckon about 50% of repos that I see don't put any tags on the repo. It's not a requirement for a repo, but I would recommend it, I think, because it's something that you can click on and find like-minded projects that have been tagged that way. I've just clicked on a couple of the tags on Robin's repo and it's it's really interesting. It does take you through to some of the sort of repos and, and accounts that you would automatically name and think of if you were looking at uh, whatever the topic of the tag was. But it also then, once you start scrolling down, brings in a whole host of people's work that you've not necessarily come across before. That's it, isn't it? I mean, there's the old joke about where's the best place to hide a dead body, the second page of Google. We need to go deeper yeah. to learn more. It's you know, it's easy to find the top 10 things on satellite imagery on GitHub. Anybody can <laughs> find that. But you need to go down into the, the greater depths to see the stuff that maybe is even more innovative. Um, okay, and the last thing I wanted to mention, um, there's always pressure, isn't there, when it's the last thing. It's like, there's going to be an amazing thing that I'm going to mention. Bloomberg Business Week. Probably in tying up with Geo for Good, article written saying Google wants to save the planet with satellite images. And this is a article for the general public or people who don't know 
uh, about Google Earth Engine. And the reason you know that's the case is because the byline says the company's little known Earth Engine um, <laughs> is helping nonprofits and researchers manage deforestation, floods, and droughts. Maybe it is little known. Maybe even in our industry, it's still little known. Maybe. Um, it's a nice article. It's not a blog post, so it's not blog of the month, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Sorry, Bloomberg. <laughs> Sorry. And so, yeah, I, I think the, the communication and stuff like this certainly adds to the ever-increasing rich ecosystem of public space, environmental earth science. And that's it for the news. Okay, in this episode, we are really chuffed to be joined by Flavia de Souza Mendez. Hopefully, I said that correctly. Uh, Flavia, could you just quickly introduce yourself? Yes, for sure. So, first of all, I really would like to thank you for this opportunity of being here and talk a little bit about my story. So, I'm Flavia Mendez or Flavia de Souza Mendez, and, and I hold a PhD in physical geography, specializing in remote sensing. And I have more than 14 years of remote sensing experience in international research um, institutes and also in the private sector. And my expertise lies in forests, forest fragmentation and edge effect, which was the topic of my PC, and also agriculture and land use change, principally in tropical forests, which I, which I got mostly from the from INPI, from the National Institute for Research Space, where I was being working between 2007, I think, 2012. And finally, I'm also part of the Ladies of Landsat as a lead organizer, also member of the Remote Sensing Apply for Tropical Ecosystem Group, which is a group from Brazilians. And I also work in the private sector as a remote sensing scientist. And sometimes I give some supports to the women in Copernicus in some meetings that they have over the month. Brilliant. Thank you so much. So um, one thing I would say is that although there's probably loads of technical things we could talk to you about, and there's probably even more things we could talk to you about in terms of your specific journey. Um, I think what we're, we're going to talk about in this podcast is more about sort of uh, diversity and inclusion within Earth observation and related to your story, obviously. Maybe with that in mind, could you tell our listeners a little bit more about Earth observation and geospatial in Brazil? You've mentioned INPI, and that's not something that we get to hear enough about over here. Actually, I got to know, uh, I got to actually to go to this field because of INPI. I think this is the biggest institution in Brazil, actually, where we can really see Earth observation, remote sensing. But of course, in the last 20 years or even 15, we have a lot of companies uh, in this field because the Earth observation field is not only growing, booming the whole world, but principally in Brazil. And we also have the Amazon there. So all the eyes are in the Amazon, the Amazon. So, of course, we have a lot of um, small startups and not only in the private sector, but also institutes and research groupings emerging from there. So yes, I think Brazil now, it, it, I think it always had a, a big um, role, let's say, in the, in the context of uh, remote sensing, climate change, and now even more. That's really interesting that you you mentioned that because I had come across MP before in terms of some of the software that was released a few years ago and um, one or two other things that they've done. I had no idea, literally no idea about the startup ecosystem that's there. I mean, I should have done. It, there's going to be startups wherever there's Earth observation, but I'm guessing that's a sort of language barrier thing, maybe? I think that's actually a good point. 
point because uh, I remember once one of, I don't remember his name now, but he was building a database on Twitter. So he had a website with like all the earth observation companies in the world. And then when I click into the website, I just saw no numbers you and I said, okay, there's something wrong because <laughs> at least in my region are no four. So why they are not there? So I think in that sense, the language barrier, it plays a big role because even though they they kind of, they have some people in the companies who can speak English, uh, the reports and sometimes the projects are still in Portuguese because that's our main target in Brazil. We are dealing with governments, we are dealing with uh, local communities, with the municipality level, and most of the people, they cannot speak English. So I think that's, that's a very common thing. And that's why I think uh, it's very important that international organizations on Earth observation, they really should try to include the local community in their projects also. Uh, I have seen some groups, for example, the GEO, which is the group on Earth observation led by Yana. So she's the secretariat director in this group, and they are doing a very good job uh, regarding in EDI um, and also trying to incorporate the, the indigenous group and also local people, local people into the to the chain of to of the solutions to fight against against climate change. I see the same thing in in Asia as well with Japanese space agency and the, the Chinese. We don't really have a clue because we don't speak those languages. So it's a it's a global problem. The voice of Earth observation is definitely English. Yes, and from the North Global also, probably yeah. usually Western. So that's another point that we also discuss a lot in MPs in Brazil. Uh, it's the question about this colonialism in science. It's so good what this, like, as I said, the group on Earth Observation are doing another institute and other companies even really trying to include these local people. It's very important. I think that's the key. Diversity is the key. Diversity matters. So I think I think we don't have uh, to to discuss so much more on why diverse it's important for science, for the productivity of science, for even for the productivity of companies. There's so many reports saying like. Uh, also in an economical matter, right? So you can increase the, the money or the, the budget in the company when you include more people because you have different views, you have different perspectives, you learn a lot from each other. And yes, it's now the point, not why we have to have a diverse uh, uh, environment, but how we have to have a diverse environment. That should be the discussion, actually, because I see the earth observation booming now, the sector is booming, a lot of very nice startups, very nice groups. And this is so exciting. And I really hope to see that the discussion around diversity inclusion in the remote sensing, the earth observation sector also follows the same speed as the set as the sector is growing now and i'm sure it will do you think there needs to be an idea of sort of open culture in order to allow the different voices the different diverse voices within earth observation to come through because we can say oh yeah there should be more diversity but i guess unless people feel that they have the space to say what they they need to say and that they'll be listened to then it doesn't help. Yes, I think that's that's the point, right? So we really have to think about how to improve the situation. 
and to improve the situation to reach where you are where you are saying now let's start like in in the matter of how we can if they have voice or not or not we really have to start from the beginning for example so when you when you go to how to really improve the diversity in a matter where when we reach the earth observation sector we have a better a better like uh, environment to deal with all these issues so for example in this school uh, teachers could reevaluate their teaching material because usually they can often be limited to western so white male and middle class narratives so you start in the beginning with your students you know in the school so really showing diverse people in diverse roles and also for example you the university you can really deliver diversity and inclusion training for these staffs what about the, the the professors who are a little bit older and they didn't have the opportunity to learn or they didn't have the, the culture, the mind. So it's also something important that you, you kind of train your staffs, not only the university, but also in the earth observation private sector, for example, and also try to, to make some trainings inside of companies, institutions, and how to do and how to make, let's say, the underrepresented groups there more inclusive, because sometimes they can reach in this private company, but they don't remain because they don't see really that they are represented there. When we think about diversity, we usually think about, okay, it's more like gender and race. No, there's like a lot of things uh, surrounded by that. So really try to train people. It's important that we, we all of us really try to leave our space a little bit and try to be active allies, not recognizing, but also doing something. And it's, it can be not so comfortable, but I think together we can really do a great job. With that in mind, are there particular people who've inspired you? Because it, it, listening to you, it's, it's very obvious that you're passionate about this topic. Yes, I think that's a very good question. It's funny because when I was invited for this podcast, I had to stop and think a little bit about my life and to see if I could find some role models, right? And it's funny because since I was in Brazil, in Brazil, I was not so aware of diversity or inclusion because in Brazil, let's say, I had to really think about other things, concern about, let's say, to get home alive or not being raped or not being robbed or protecting myself against shooting. So these things never really came up to my mind because I had, let's say, worries with other things. But unconsciously, I would say, diversity really matters because I remember when I was in the university, I saw Yasmin. So my first role model, let's say, Yasmin Mendes. She's from the earth observation sector also. And she was uh, one year older than I in the university. And I saw her then when she was working in I was like, oh, she can do it. Maybe I can also do it. And I try it and I got it. The same with Poliana Bispo. Uh, she was also doing her studies abroad in earth observation. I think she was in Italy, if I'm not wrong, working with Raider. And then I saw, okay, I think I can also make it. I'm going to study abroad. And I tried it and I made it. And when I was in INPI also, there were like very important research there. Lubia, for example, and she's a extremely good research in the, she was in the general coordination of earth observation. And I remember she said something, one of the big newspaper in Brazil, that one of the biggest difficulties for women in the market is to disagree because they always see like, oh, this is a difficult person to deal. Maybe it's disagrees too much. 
Um, but also remember all the role model is Thelma Kruger. She's the vice chair of the IPCC. So she's the first woman, I think, to occupy a leadership position in the IPCC since 2008, when I think it was created. So I also know Dr. Liana, she's doing a, such a good job in, in Brazil regarding the the, the initiatives to highlight initiatives regarding diversity. So she's involving community, local community, and also local schools in the mitigation of uh, forest fires in Amazon. And last but not least, I remember Poliana also. So Poliana, again, she, she and Francisco, they created a very interesting website, which everyone should be on, which we launched in, in January. The name is UMEI. It's You May Act for Inclusion. It's a very interesting thing because it integrates like a smart data bank uh, where different uh, people from underrepresented group can kind of register their profile, their CV, in order for companies or institute go to this website, check the list if they want to make the environment more inclusive. So it's kind of a database with all the, the jobs, the, the, the topics, the professions. But when she was telling me that, I told her that she must create an earth observation sector in this website. So all the companies <laughs> could really go and look into that. Actually, she's looking for a partner. So if you are interested in helping Poliana and Francisco, just get in touch with her. The one thing I take away from that, that list as well is that having somebody visible ahead of you really helps in order to help you take the next step, but also bring others with you behind you, I guess. I think that role models sort of change over time, don't they, a little bit? You kind of look often to the side and, and see what other people are doing as well. And, you know, you, you should be aware that you are acting as a role model to so many people. I always feel that we collectively as a community should be doing more and, you know, self-supporting, but also... I always get a little bit nervous about the, the silent majority, you know, the, the people that we miss. It's all very easy to have a, a loving on Twitter every now and then or whatever it may be. But it's the people that you don't realise that you're impacting and affecting. I really wanted to ask you about GeoMixer. I know it's a sort of quite, quite a sidestep. Is that just for a, a small group of people or is it or is it for basically everybody to attend? Yeah, actually, it's the GeoMixer, it's an event where many groups are part of, not only the ladies of Landsat, but the sister of SARS, women in geospatial, um, she maps. I mean, there are like thousands of groups that I can even leave a list uh, in the end for you guys to, to see. And it's, I think it's a very interesting. I, I, I have been there many times and and you really meet a lot of people from such a different background. And you see that they're doing so many interesting things in the field. So you can really get this opportunity to even check if someone is doing more or less the same things as you. You can partnership, you can even write paper together. Actually, it's, it's, a very, it's a very good initiative and it would be so good if people with more experience would be there. Because what I see, there are a lot of young people, which is super wonderful, but oh. would be very nice if people with more experience, like even uh, like leadership positions, CEOs, I mean, they have a bunch of people that they can kind of get talents in these geomixers and also professors. I think this it would be such a good... Uh, experience to exchange their knowledge in that matter, not only technical knowledge, but to really see, for example, if there's a professor who is looking for 
someone who works in the savannah in Mozambique regarding agroforest systems. And there they find a person who is working that in a project there in a local community. So I have seen that geomixers are very, very like great opportunity for, for people in general. And does it have a more of a sort of academic tinge to it? Yes. Yeah. Also, so but it's good because, uh, as you said, it's it's a it's very academic because most of the geomixers we have in conferences or a meeting like the last one of Google, for example, that we have. I think we miss a lot of the the private sector and in there. We've got a lot of different groups, a lot of sort of separate groups. Does the commercial, is it as effective as the more academic kind of groups? What I see, for example, that the, the women in geospatial, they have more folks in the in the private sector. So I think they held, they held yeah. more like the, the events regarding the, the private sector. In the end, we all share the same field, which is science. So I think mixing this, these two sectors, it's always a good benefit for both of them. I, I always think we should probably talk more about inclusion, community building, diversity and all this kind of stuff. And it, and it's not pushed under the carpet, but it's kind of always seen to be like a, a nice to have. And then all of a sudden, billionaires are being launched into space and all the attention gets pushed onto that. And I, I always find that slightly disingenuous to the sort of sector that, that we work in. How do you feel about that? Do you feel like you're sort of constantly trying to break through brick walls in, in, in that sense? How are things moving forward? How, how, how have things changed in the last sort of two or three years? I think social media plays a big role in, the, in all the discussion on the diversity. I remember uh, this podcast also hosts Morgan, for example, from the Ladies of Landsat. And I think uh, other ladies also. And this is such an amazing thing because I got to be, let's say, to be more active in the field via Twitter. I didn't have Twitter. And then I decided to have a Twitter. And then after three months, Morgan just asked me to, 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 to if I could be future in the, in the money manuscript, which is one of the initiatives of Ladies of Landsat. And then you kind of started to get the community. And then someone says about um, colonialist, science colonialist, like being from the South. And some people say about the manuals, for example. We are having so many manuals this year for a Congress, uh, even talks in the private sector, and from big institution, institution even which has a department to take care of uh, diversity. So if you are in a manual before you participate, you I know that can sound can sound a little bit hard, but sometimes you have to really take a personal pledge. So you decline to participate in all manual panels. I remember one of our members uh, of the RSAT, he said that he just rejects. He said, thank you very much. I'm here and I'm going to um, suggest you to take this lady. She's super good. She knows better than I. And I think you should take her. Thank you very much for the invitation. And it's that. So, so for example, propose more women to the organizers. So when sometimes uh, the organizer says like, hey, we invited them, but they decline. So what can you do in that matter? Invite the woman first, not invite one or two women, invite 10 women <laughs> because men of them will decline. It's a job of everyone. Everyone has to do a little bit. And I know that can sound a little bit overwhelming, but even in small chains, like in the lives of the people who work with you, when the lives of your friends, even this small chains, it's already something. Yeah, I, I would echo that. I, I would appeal to anybody listening to this podcast, you know, to call it out. I try and do it when I see it. And you know what? It feels uncomfortable. I don't want to, to be that negative person, but I think we owe it collectively 
to say we lead some diversity here it can't just be five andrew cutses on a panel it can't be it's <laughs> it'll be a disaster i want to say that i listened to your the eye leaps podcast and you know clearly really determined kind of person but i was really amazed by your your job offer after you defended your phd and i also really appreciate your message at the end about you know looking after the mental health and, and all this kind of stuff and again something that we don't talk much about um within geospatial and you know we should perhaps consider that on the podcast in the future i mean i think i was an exception and unfortunately i'm not the rule because meritocracy doesn't exist in countries like brazil so and so yes i think a phd made me strong made me more resilient made me learn English <laughs> in a little bit more. So made me also uh, train my soft skills in the regarding management, how to manage my own project. Academia can be a very individual place also when you are not involved in, in big projects, which was in my case. So you have to develop a lot of things. So I don't think that the PhD can only gives you, let's say this technical knowledge, but for me was a lot of like, soft skills knowledge yeah. this was like a huge increase that you can also get in other kind of experience you can also get in the private sector you can also get in doing another kind of jobs also or or uh, yeah there are many ways to get this kind of experience and i think these groups for example that we have in brazil you mentioned about having a pitch in their observation we have uh, Meninas da Gel, which is translated girls from the geotechnology, women in GIS Brazil, mothers in science. And they, apart from the mentoring, some of them also do training, for example, for people who are not, who don't want to get a PhD. They just want to work in the field, but they're not interested in writing papers or going into crazy methodologies or trying to solve problems for four years. And in the end of your PhD, you didn't solve anything. <laughs> it's like not only technical, the earth observation sector, it's, it's like in a, it's systematic. It's built by many, many different areas. Sometimes the companies and the institution, they have to change the way that they evaluate someone. Yeah. So instead of uh, valuing their, I don't know, Flavia has a PhD from Germany, great. But value my experience. What about my experience in the field? What about my experience in understanding what is happening in the biomes in Brazil? What about the experience of this or that person in, in, in that matter or in that topic? So I think this is something that the companies, institutions and groups, they should value more. Not only what you have in your course. Okay, I have done a Python course, introduction to Python. What am I right when I'm trying to code? Nothing comes out. So yeah, absolutely. It's all about learning, isn't it? Thank you so much, Flavia, for coming on to the podcast. It's been great talking to you. I think in all honesty, we could probably talk for an hour or two. There's probably loads of things that we could pick up and take further, uh, lots of different strands. And we haven't even touched on your, your technical background and the things you're interested in. Oh, that's there. true. <laughs> yeah. So um, thank you so much. It's been great having you. Yes, I, I just would like to say thank you very much for, for both of you for inviting me to this podcast. I think it's a great opportunity, not only for me, but more women are invited to really hear their story, right? To he really hear how they feel in their place. So it's so important. And I also would like to thank you very much for my RSAT group and the ladies of Landsat who supported me to, to, to really talk to you and try to get all the perspective that I could from different groups. Well, it's been great perspectives. Yeah, thank you.
encourage you to drop us a line through Twitter using at EOSceneFrom, where you can find a vibrant community based around the podcast. Thanks for listening, and that's it for now. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Alistair. <laughs> Too late now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say it. Podcast music is Cracker Jacks and Tin Whistles by Ocean Heights and is licensed under the Attribution Non-Commercial Creative Commons license. Available on freemusicarchive.org.